So you were asking a question about meta. And you did some explanation, so let's uh, go through that again. Yeah, I was. My question was about um, if you close your eyes and meditate, then there are many remnants of what you've been experiencing during the day or even years before. In other words, there are many concepts in the mind. And if you practice meta, let's say towards your sister's dog, and this also then is a concept because they are not actually in the room and so not part of reality, what is going right on right now. And the my question is, if you practice meta like this, let's say towards your sister's dog, is it thereby a pretending of meta because it is not part of reality? And the Buddha says one should practice meta towards all four quarters above is below. And so how do you practice real meta instead of meta towards concepts or pretending it? This is basically the question. OK. Um, actually, you've opened a very, very wide door. That this is not a, uh, a yes or no or easy point, but rather it gets at the very heart of uh, one's practice. Uh, and so we'll put uh, the practice back into that context. Now, the first thing uh, that you mentioned was is that uh, there are thoughts of the past that are arising. This is something uh, of a skill to know that because most people in the beginning before they do anything, they're not really keeping track of what the mind is doing. So even though uh, this stuff is pointed out to them and pointed to as hindrances, uh, it's only after an individual begins to observe this stuff and puts it together to recognize that, hey, look at what the mind is doing. It keeps going into the past. And basically, um, it delves around in the past looking for something to do. And um, we, we, we pull out a plum and say, ah, I've got something to do now. It's almost like that we have programmed our ourselves to be a problem-solving machine, and that defines us as a problem-solving machine. And when we don't have any problems to solve, we've got no purpose now. And so the new problem is, is that we've got no problems. And so we have to go find a problem. And that's the solution to that problem. So now that we've got a problem, now we have something to do and we can solve that problem. And we get in the habit of doing that and letting the mind roll on, looking for um, that. In fact, when someone is doing a, a lot, we call it worry. But the Buddha calls it when we're doing it just a little bit, we call that a restless mind. The mind is restless mm. because it's out looking for something. Okay. So um, this, uh, this mind then that's restless and even to the point of being worried 
also part of that has to do with doubt. And at the most basic level, that doubt is if I'm a failure, then I am worthless and I die. In other words, the self-preservation instinct is built into the failure uh, and, and winning mentality. <clears throat> and so we, we begin to get worried and then we feel bad. Are we up to the task? And so now we begin to hear that we're actually piling on these hindrances. And then we get the idea, oh, if I had a big golden blah, blah <laughs> to solve all of my problems. <laughs> now we get into the greed for having a big golden blah, blah. <laughs> and then we begin to think of only a golden blah, blah will do. And I start hating silver blah, blahs for a moment. So <laughs> <laughs> and here we go around the whole circle of hindrances. Yeah. And that we wear ourselves down eventually into a half stupor of worry, um, pain, neglect. Many people call this depression. Yeah. And many in Western Buddhist Buddhism calls this deep meditation. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and the Buddha would call this state drowsiness, yet one more hindrance. Okay. Ah, okay. So we're looking at the fact that, yes, there is that kind of mind that you're waking up to. Mm -hmm. And there is a question that you have asked that wasn't actually asked out loud. And mm -hmm. that was an underlying question is, Meta, the solution to this problem, are just more of the same problem. That would yeah. basically be the question. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And the easy answer to that is, is that if it is not, then the solution to the problem, it might very well be more of uh, the problem itself. Yeah. This is quite possible. So, um, the first thing that we're going to look at then is, is that if we're going to get the mind out of this unwholesome state, mm -hmm. into a wholesome state, then there are ways and procedures to do that. And that if metta was done properly, it would also be one of these things. Yeah. That can get us out of an unwholesome state into a wholesome state. Yeah. Uh, in the 1950s, I think partly because of the end of World War II and a kind of an uplifting kind of celebration, uh, there was a lot of uplifting popular songs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yet, for most people, those songs were uh, maybe uplifting only momentarily, but it wasn't real for them. Yeah. Songs like Zippity Doodah comes out of 1948 movie Song of the South. Okay. <laughs> Zippity Doodah, Zippity A, my oh my, what a wonderful day. 
Plenty of sunshine heading my way. Zippity doo da, zippity a. <laughs> then goes on to talk about bluebirds on the shoulders and all kinds of stuff. But the point is, is that we can sing that kind of song and put our mind into that frame of reference. Yeah. Or we can sing that song and not believe it. Yeah. So if we can put our mind into a frame of reference that is wholesome. Mm -hmm. So that we're having wholesome thoughts like this day is actually a good day. Yeah. And in that regard, we're saying that meta now is flowing in both directions, but it's got no real object in the sense of sister's dog. It's yeah. just this, the whole day is wonderful. Everything about it is nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. Okay, so. This is another way of, of understanding that in many respects, we could say that wholesome thoughts, when they truly are wholesome, are also um, meta-ish or meta-like. Yeah. And so uh, rather than talking about it as, uh, as meta-like that, we can better talk about it uh, in the frame of reference that the Buddha actually did. And I will take a moment to say that metta as a practice mm. was practiced by other groups that the Buddha knew about and that in the Metta Sutta is actually a dialogue or confrontation, not a confrontation at all, sorry. Uh, these guys are meta, by the way, and if these guys are meta and these guys are Buddhist bhikkhus, it's not going to be any kind of <laughs> But anyway, the, uh, in this sutta, the meta dudes said that the first thing is that the mind has to become free from hindrances and then we can practice metta. Yeah. And so the, uh, the monks uh, bound to that didn't give a response, but came back and told the Buddha what they were meaning. And then yeah. the rest of the sutta has to do with that this practice of metta may in fact not develop all of the seven factors of enlightenment. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and the reason for that is, is that a metta practice that is merely metta, that has a uh, uh, that's free from the hindrances is is also uh, not necessarily going to be investigating on guard nor taking the right effort. And so the likelihood of it is to fail. Yeah. yeah. But in, in all cases, it winds up not having all of the seven factors of enlightenment. And if it did have all seven factors of enlightenment, then they're doing the Buddhist practice at just calling it metta. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, there's another way of looking at metta, and that is is that um, uh, we'll look at it from the issue of cause and effect, in the sense that many people in the West hear about a metta practice, and they say that all oh, the practice of metta is the cause, and the effect is more metta in the world. Yeah. Okay. And the answer to that is maybe it depends again on how it's being practiced. <laughs> yeah. 
but that another way of looking at it is to reverse this quality of cause and effect because in a way practicing metta thinking that it's going to lead to more metta in the world is very much like pushing a string like pushing a string okay yeah. you know you take a long string you lay it out on the table and then at this end you start to push it and you wonder why the other end doesn't go anywhere oh yeah <laughs> okay no i get it yeah <laughs> but if we turn that around and see the cause effect in another way then if the mind is in fact clean and pure and bright yeah then when he goes out into the world of dealing with others mm. and he maintains that uh bright uh uh joyful mind then he will naturally be spreading kindness to others. Yeah. yeah. If he has learned finally to not be critical of himself, then he will be unlikely to be critical of others. Yeah. And that's such a big, big leap right there. <clears throat> <laughs> that is, in fact, those are the two major leaps in the world of coming out of negative views within one's own mind about the world and mm. then while dealing with the world later not allow those negative views of the mind to come back in or be regenerated by the things that you see in the world yeah so that the mind remains wholesome even when we go out now mm. for monks we would do that in the sense of go go into seclusion for a whole lot of time and then come out occasionally and test it and then go back into seclusion <laughs> and then come back out and test it for a while. And when we get really good at it, we could stay out. OK, <clears throat> but lay people have a different practice in that way. And that is, is that they need to go into seclusion to get the mind as, as good as they can, as soon as they can, so that they can go out into the world as soon as they can, because that's the way that we're living our life. In other words, the monk says, I'm going to stay here until I get this stuff straightened out. And the <laughs> layman is, says, I'll do the best I can, but I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> and so that I got to go is a kind of restlessness to go back out into the world. And so this is also something to be noticed so that when we go back out into the world, we, we can in fact go into the world without that restlessness or any of the other hindrances so that mm -hmm. we can be non-judgmental, we can be non-critical and we can be nurturing to everyone, which yeah. then works all the way up and down the line for the Brahma Baharas, Metta, Karuna, Mudita, Upeka. Yeah. Then in, yeah. in fact, Upeka is one of the factors of enlightenment, but if we practice Metta backwards, we'll not get to the level of Upeka. That in How fact, the level, yeah. yeah. Here is the way that we mean it, is, is that, um, in fact, Karuna and Mudita are both traps to mm. fall into. Okay. And so we go out with the attitude that we're going to uh, spread metta. 
And then we run across this English language word compassion. Mm. Now, actually, compassion back to the Latin means with passion. And mm. the object or the uh, uh, metaphor or the concept that I use is somebody's just fallen overboard. <laughs> what is compassion? Jumping overboard with them. <laughs> you got one person who can't swim. Okay. Now you got so two. The other person jumps in too. This is what we would call a pity party. A pity party. <laughs> and this loves company. Yeah. So you throw that guy a life raft out in the waters and he says, I don't want your life raft. I want you to jump in here too. <laughs> so then that means that we have to resist that invitation mm -hmm. we have to know that that's going to take us out of our um, hindrance free solid state of mind mm -hmm. but that we can in fact act correctly to help the person come out of their pity party. Yeah. At least in the moment. Mm -hmm. If they fall back into it later, they may not fall as hard as if they had been there all along, but instead they came out because you smiled and winked at them and got them to think of something else. <laughs> okay. Which is where Mudita comes in. Medita yeah. is called, uh, uh, in English, it's referred to as sympathetic joy. Mm. And the mundane way of looking at it would be like the Buddha would say, pleasure I can find anywhere. I mm. can go find pleasure any place. And so in that regard, if someone else gets something good to happen to them, instead of being jealous, this is a training time to not be jealous, in fact, to be their best friend. The example that I use would be that uh, um, you and someone else were kind of secretly competing with each other over a job because the boss mm. has gotten promoted and a new boss is going to be appointed. And yeah. you want the job and so does he, and then he gets the job. Very common situation. How are you going to feel when he gets the job? Yeah. <laughs> if you're jealous, it will show you will be continuing competitive with him and he's now your boss. That's not going to be a very good situation. Oh, yeah. OK, so in that regard, that means that we have to buck up, get our joy together, congratulate him and in fact, take him out for supper and even the whole team. Yeah. To make a point that you congratulate him that the whole team is going to be better off because he's the boss. Mm. That you'll devote everything you can to giving him a team spirit and ask everybody yeah. in the group to do the same. That's the kind of thing that will help the team. But if you remain jealous of him, it's going to hurt the team. I have a question on that. Okay. Can you? Um, to to take the situation you just um, were announcing, can you say that the practice fake it till you make it is the way to do it? Because in the beginning, 
you may be jealous, but you recognize that you are jealous. So in the beginning, you have to fake your joy towards the person. No, not fake it in that regard. It is, in fact, waking, not faking. Okay. It's the waking up to recognize that those thoughts of jealousy are harmful. Yeah, and then immediately change. And them. then I can change my attitude and say, hey, I'm going to fix this problem. Yeah. So the recognizing okay. is the really important thing to do. Exactly. The wakey okay. wakey is the important part. <laughs> yeah. okay. Wakey wakey. Including sometimes when we when we are faking it, we need to wake to wake up to that, too, when we are faking it. Uh, yeah, but this okay. is, in fact, a lot to do with gladdening the 